Welcome to Logical, the legal podcast from the Dubai-based law firm HPL, Yamalava and Plethka and the UAE's first legal podcast. I am 18 floors up in JLT at the offices of HPL, Yamalava and Plethka with the managing partner, Ludmilla Yamalava. Good to see you. Great to see you too, Tim. You know what? It's good to be here. And this, this has been such a strange year in so many ways. And I'm not going to go into even trying to describe how it's been weird. We all know why it's been weird. But towards the end of 2020, here in Dubai, in the United Arab Emirates, we've seen uh, some real change from a legal perspective. And what I want to do, Ludmilla, is run through some of those legal changes. But just before we even get there, let's just set the scene with, um, I was surprised at some of the things that I read in the paper. You were surprised with some of the things that came out were subsequently published in the official gazette and what at the end of November, November the 30th. Um, just tell us how surprised you were because there have been some big decisions and changes made. Indeed. So the surprise perhaps was uh, in two stages. One was um, early in September, October, when the announcements in the media came out about various anticipated amendments in the UAE laws. And there were news stories and updates about amendments to the laws regarding, for example, honor crimes or about decriminalizing alcohol or decriminalizing cohabitation without being married. There were some announcements or indication that perhaps personal status laws would also be changed uh, and a lot of these, as a, as a practitioner in the UAE, um, sounded very groundbreaking, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, in order for those amendments to really perhaps make um, impact in the way that uh, this community and, and this country is, is ready uh, for and would benefit from, it just required for those amendments to really be groundbreaking. Uh, so... Therefore, whenever the, whenever the announcements came, we were all a bit um, conservative in, 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 I guess, welcoming uh, the changes or celebrating the changes until we've actually seen the law. So we were surprised then when the announcements were made. And also the announcements were made not in your typical fashion where, okay, a law was amended, but rather there's a whole series of laws that was going to be amended. But it wasn't very clear in what shape, how many, and how fast. But when the announcements uh, came out, it it was pretty comprehensive in terms of the scope uh, of of the the new legislation. Then we all kind of sat on the sidelines and waited. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So the second dose or round of of, of surprise came uh, when the amendments were actually made available. Now, how are amendments made available and what does that mean in the UAE? So they were made available by publication in the official gazette. And in relevant terms, what that means is for a law to become law in this country, it has to be published in the official gazette. Uh, Now, when the official gazette is uh, uh, made available to the public, there are a few little nuances in terms of the effectiveness of some of these uh, new laws. So, for example, this official gazette came out November 30th, but it includes some laws uh, which were signed back in September and therefore actually theoretically or effectively came into force back then in September. So, for example, a number of uh, penal code law, uh, amendments, 
but we haven't actually been able to rely on those laws until the official gazette has been published. So some of these laws, even though, were, in, in other words, already came into effect before the official gazette was uh, made available, but you couldn't really rely on them until the official gazette is is published. So that's so you're kind of going backwards <clears throat> with regards to some of the laws. Other laws became effective as of the date the official gazette was published, and yet other laws uh, were will become effective uh, on at a certain date. So, for example, there were amendments to the company's laws. Those amendments or that law will come into effect uh, in March of next year. Uh, so, so we were surprised when um, the official gazette was published because it was right before the national holiday, and that is the UAE's national day. Uh, of December 2nd mm. and we were the country was closing down for almost like a week long holiday or celebration and so this was Monday I believe it was November 30th the last day and then uh, December 1st was already a holiday so kind of by the twist the second part of of the last working day the official gazette bam became available and we were really that's when the, the next uh, level of surprise came because there were over 200 pages of new laws and amendments. Which is huge, isn't it? That's not normal. It is not normal. Typically, whenever an official, official gazettes usually are issued almost every month, whenever there is a new law. And believe it or not, there's always a new law. So, but very often we receive an official gazette that's like 10 pages and, uh, or five pages. So just there's one law, but this is over 200 pages. And it includes, I was like, 23 different laws that have been amended or added. 23 sets of laws. That's not to say that 23 changes. It's 23 sets of laws. Within each one of these laws, there were a, a whole series of amendments and, and sub-amendments within each one of the laws. So I think all in all, we're still processing it. It hasn't been long enough. But in, I'd say there have been at least good 30, 40, very substantive and groundbreaking amendments. I'm going to ask you to run through some of the more maybe salient points, um, some of the things that really surprised you in a minute. But I do have to ask, and maybe this is asking you to speculate, but, but why now for some of these changes? Because they're not just changes to existing laws. Some of these are see changes almost to existing laws and they are also i guess it's reasonable to say cultural changes in some instances great question i'd say there there are perhaps several uh, several reasons for that or your speculations Mm. One, I think more of an emotional, probably not a real substantive reason or a real reason, but it's just, as you said, it's been such a weird year. It's just been yeah. such a bizarre year and it's been so difficult for, I think, majority of the population worldwide, save a few very lucky companies. But this pandemic has really affected negatively most, most of us and particularly economies and people and people's lives and such. So it's been such a depressing year and we've, we're, as we're coming towards the end of it, it's, you know, there's almost like a, definitely a kind of joke that goes around. People just cannot wait. They hope that, yeah, first of January comes along, bang, and, you know, and somehow there'll be a new order, a new world and the, the, uh, the, this dark cloud will lift. So there is that kind of unreasonable expectation that on come January 1st, <laughs> things will change back to normal. Obviously, that's not realistic, but it's been such a, 
strange and difficult year. So perhaps this was, this was a very um, this was a kind of breath of fresh air. And, uh, and that was to your point is um, uh, you know, there is always a silver lining to every cloud. And perhaps this is our silver lining, but that's more kind of an allegorical way of looking things. So, but certainly feels that way as we're approaching the end of the year, and especially after this, this, uh, this uh, bizarre year. And here we've got so many uh, positive changes to look forward to. Uh, so I think that's the silver lining and the, the timing of it is very pointed before the national holidays and by the end and towards the holidays, uh, Christmas holidays and New Year holidays and such. Uh, so, but that's obviously more of a metaphorical, allegorical way of looking at things. Now, I think, uh, another reason, and perhaps this is more of a real reason is that it's about time. It was about time that a lot of these changes became effective. And, uh, part of it is, um, a lot of the changes that have been made, in a way, they've been implicitly practiced here already. Right. Uh, and it's just that um, the laws had not changed and uh, they just needed to be updated. Uh, so that's one. Uh, two is that I think the country feels that it needs to keep moving forward and to move forward. And especially perhaps given the, the changes worldwide that are ongoing, it, it just it wants to continue to attract people to come and live here and to make this their home for the long haul. So it felt, I, I'm speculating, I wasn't part of the legislative committee, uh, that they just needed to continue to evolve and um, regroup and see how else, what, and what new incentives they can create to attract people to come here and, and want to make this their home. Now, a lot of the laws that, as I said earlier, that were amended, they were not necessarily ever enforced. So, for example, like the, the whole idea of cohabitation, that is living together uh, for a couple without being married. That was, uh, everyone knew it was illegal, but mm. uh, it was never really, in, 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 in realistic terms, enforced. That being said, all those people who have lived here and, and, and kind of knowing that it's not technically speaking proper. It's just a little unsettling. And so perhaps you, the, the country thought, okay, this is, it's time that we, we uh, kind of amend the laws, uh, and, um, uh, and just to make it sort of make them more consistent with what's going on in, uh, you know, in, in the country in general, one and two, with regards to uh, what we want the country to be. Uh, so, um, so that was, um, so I think that's, that's the other reason. And then third is a number of laws had to come out because they're, they have more to do with, um, taxes and, uh, central bank and banking regulations. So just kind of, uh, keeping up with regulations that are happening and being introduced in other parts of the world. Progressive, it definitely is. And it's taken a lot of people by surprise. Let's go through some of the uh, changes that really jump out uh, and perhaps are more relevant uh, to more people. Let's start with changes to the penal code um, for cases that uh, things like harassment or alcohol, which obviously uh, took a lot of people by surprise, cohabitation you mentioned. But there are also there's a new uh, approach to cases of rape. There are new approaches to cases of suicide, uh, for example. Um, just run through, uh, Ludmilla, if you would, the new approaches to those. 
Yeah, so this, the penal code, when we say the penal code, it's basically the UAE criminal law that yes. was originally introduced back in the 80s. Uh, and so when we're talking about the amendments, the penal code, it's the amendments to this particular law. So yeah. this law, it has obviously been amended um, over the years, but the provisions that were amended this time relate to a number of very important uh, provisions um, that, on the one hand, bring laws kind of inconsistent with the practice that has, had already been in place, and on the other hand, laws that were kind of uh, long overdue. So, for example, as part of the penal code, one of the amendments was decriminalizing alcohol, and this decriminalizing alcohol consumption, possession, trade, advertising, and uh, and such. And interestingly enough, in the past, just to give you by way of comparison, in the past, there was a provision in the penal code, in the simple terms, said that stated that it was illegal to consume alcohol, possess, or trade, and unless uh, it was for non-Muslims. In other words, it was illegal, that the default rule was it was illegal to drink unless you're a non-Muslim. That, the, in general terms, that was the law. So now that law has been scrapped and the new law says something to the effect of it is no longer illegal to drink alcohol in permitted places and cases, full stop, basically. Mm. And though the law does provide that each emirate can then introduce their own regulations to further regulate trade, advertising, possession, and, and such of, of alcohol. Uh, so, but the penal code no longer makes it a crime to drink alcohol. And it doesn't, at least the language of the penal code, no longer makes a, a difference or differentiates between Muslims or non-Muslims. So how that's going to be applied in the future remains to be seen. But if you just contrast the previous version, which clearly stated it was illegal unless you were non-Muslim, now it's it says it is no longer illegal. Stop. It is a huge change. It really is. But that doesn't mean to say you can make a public nuisance of yourself. Uh, drunk, of course, that that is uh, an exception. Um, but it is no longer illegal to consume alcohol. That's it. And so, as we, as many of us who've lived here for a long time, know that. The non-Muslims have had the um, the right uh, with the right license, yeah. uh, depending on the emirate, to drink. But there have also been a lot of perhaps people that are, are Muslims that come to, from different countries and such that you know would also drink. And uh, so there's one of those examples where there's a discrepancy in law and practice. Uh, there was no there was no really effective enforcing mechanism to make sure that this particular law is applied at least as far as Muslims were concerned. And so this is just this amendment to the law obviously brings the practice or kind of updates the laws to to reflect the current and, and existing reality and um, perhaps the, the expectations of where the country wants things to move. And there have been some recent changes or, or at least changes in the, the outlook, if you like, on alcohol. We, we've had recent moves that if you have a uh, stamp in your passport that proves you are a tourist here, you have been for the last year or so, maybe a little bit longer, uh, the, the right to go to uh, an off license and purchase alcohol if it is for private consumption because 
you know, that was one of the changes introduced. Well, yeah, and because there were a lot of discrepancies in the laws. Even the previous yeah. law had a bit of, um, I guess, uh, confusion about, okay, so the way it was drafted, you could drink in certain places, but what happens if you drank in that place and then you were transiting or moving from mm. that place and and then somewhere else and you were stopped in the process? Well, so there was a bit of discrepancy in how you interpret that law. So as you said, those changes that had happened before were kind of to update or reflect that. Uh, so, but this is quite groundbreaking because it overhauls the entire position on, on alcohol in general in the country. Yeah. And that, by the way, is a federal law. So it's important to highlight. It's not emirate based. This is federal because penal code or criminal law is federal. And so therefore it is no longer criminal to drink or to possess alcohol, period. And that's around the world, uh, around the country. And uh, individual emirates can introduce regulations, perhaps, of requiring obtaining a license to drink or something, or, or maybe not. But but whatever those regulations might be, they will not. Uh, the the breach of those regulations will not no longer have criminal repercussions. Uh, Ludmilla, let's move to other areas of the penal code that have been uh, updated uh, in these this plethora of changes that we've seen. Um, first of all, harassment. Yes, uh, so there's now a new provision in the penal code that ultimately criminalizes harassment of women and, uh, and that's, pre- and it's a fairly clear provision. So, it, and criminalizes it by imprisonment and a fine. This is a brand new provision. It did not exist in the code before. Okay, but how do you define harassment for the purposes of this? Uh, harassment is, uh, there's physical harassment and there's a few other, uh, comments in the law, for example, where it's harassment, anything, any, any advances or assaults, uh, that are against someone's will, for example, or, um, uh, and I guess against their will, there are different ways. There's a physical abilities and there's also mental abilities. So ultimately it's assault. Assault uh, under coercion, and that's um, it's a, and that's a brand new article. There was there was no such article before, and so now there is clearly a crime. So, for example, if um, somebody gets, and in fact, the law is um, would even criminalize something that, like, if somebody gets abused verbally okay. on the street, that too is an offense. Uh, so, harassment can be verbal, can be physical, can be mental. So, big uh, big news for all those. Um, uh, for all those perhaps victims in the past who have not mm. been able to uh, raise these concerns to the authorities. And if you recall, there have been a number of cases over the years, for example, when um, of um, alleged alleged rape, for example. Yes. And uh, previously, those kinds of um, claims uh, were quite difficult to adjudicate for the victim. Uh, because just the law did not um, exist in a way that would allow, for example, victims of rape uh, to uh, to rely on a specific provision. Uh, so now that, for example, that particular case for rape, now it's very clear that any kind of physical assault against someone's will, and that would obviously rape would definitely qualify, is a criminal offense. So it's very, perhaps sounds very simple, but it's yet, it's extremely groundbreaking because it's, yeah, obviously rape is rape and, and perhaps in the other jurisdictions, it seems to be that it may appear that that, that law should have existed and it's fairly clear, clearly a crime. 
But uh, until now, the the way the penal code was drafted here, it, there wasn't a specific provision that would allow victims to avail themselves of protection. Not anymore. So that's okay. another example. Uh, well, there are three other areas of the penal code I'd like to come to. The first of those is one area that I think took everybody uh, in the country by complete surprise, and that is the change in legal attitudes to cohabitation. Yes, and cohabitation refers to, in no other words, than basically um, basically living together uh, for a couple that is not married, um, yeah. or even, because again, the, the way the law was drafted in the past, uh, there was uh, much concern that even... Uh, any uh, friends and other people sort of living if, as, as long as it's mixed sex in, under the same roof and they're not married, that there potentially could be some legal repercussions uh, to, to them. Uh, and uh, the way the law was drafted in the past, though definitely there were some reasonable grounds for people to be worried or uh, or concerned uh, that they might not be protected under those circumstances. Well, now that whole provision has been taken out. Uh, and it is no longer criminal for ultimately for people to um, you know, to to be living together if they're not married. Uh, so the entire provision basically has been taken out. But the, before there was a provision in the penal code that said any kind of and this is the terminology obviously so translated from Arabic uh, from Arabic indecent uh, indecent assault or indecent indecent behavior. Uh, and so that referred ultimately to sexual relationships. Uh, so the, the way the language was um, uh, included in the code is that it is illegal uh, for basically for, for anyone to, to have this sort of indecent uh, behavior. And it was penalized. So now that entire provision has been taken out. And instead, new provisions were added, such as, for example, criminalizing harassment, criminalizing rape. And um, uh, and establishing a few other uh, aggravating circumstances for for harassment and f- and physical and sexual assault uh, for children and family members. So that provision, in a way, has been flipped upside down because before it was rather all encompassing uh, without the sort of express provision for victims. Now it's uh, there are very very specific provisions pro- providing protection to victims. Uh, from age to, uh, to to sort of familial circumstances to those who are under authority of someone. Uh, in other words, c- adding specific provisions, criminalizing, for example, this is a pr- pretty groundbreaking law for anyone to assault someone over whom they have authority, uh, such as, for example, a guardian or any other, there's even a catch-all, anyone that right. they have authority over. So that's that's pretty groundbreaking that therefore any kind of assault that may happen under those circumstances is now specifically a criminal offense. Not, not only that, the penalty that has been introduced for some of these particularly aggravated offenses is uh, life imprisonment. So for example, any kind of uh, uh, physical uh, sexual assault or sexual intercourse, even with somebody who's below the age of 14, even if it's consensual, is life imprisonment. So that did not exist. So it's a brand new um, law. Final two areas I wanted to bring up with you are uh, legal attitudes to suicide changing, but also so-called honor killings as well. Yes, uh, two very important areas of, of, of uh, amendments under the penal code. One with regards to suicide. Uh, prior to this current uh, draft of the law or language of the law, uh, it was suicide was illegal, and in fact, the way the article read, it was that 
anyone who uh, who commits suicide or attempts to commit suicide uh, is uh, will be punishable by in, imprisonment of at least one year in prison uh, plus a fine. Uh, and so that's how the law read before. And now it just says that um, anyone who attempts to commit suicide, ultimately the judge has the uh, option of either uh, of either, either, either imposing some kind of a penalty or referring them for medical treatment. So it's the or uh, for judges to have the option of, of referring this uh, victims or or those who attempted suicide for treatment is a huge step forward in two ways. Mm-hmm. One is now the, the judges have optioned uh, to refer for treatment, and two, there's also this implicit implicit acknowledgement, recognition that suicide uh, or attempts at wanting to commit suicide is a medical condition and therefore may require treatment. So that's that's pretty uh, groundbreaking. It really is uh, it, honor killings um, as well. It's a hard concept to grasp, but the the, the change there clearly very positive indeed and i have to tell you and and, and confess that many of us here in this, this office did not know that there was in particular there was a specific law here that uh, ultimately provided uh, mitigating penalties or mitigating circumstances for crimes that were committed in the name of protecting family honor mm. so but that is the case there was a law before that uh, provided for lesser punishment for anyone who committed any kind of assault, including uh, killing, uh, for in the name of protecting family honor, so they were uh, much they were treated differently. Now that entire article has been removed altogether, and now any kind of physical assault or killing is treated as any other crime. So it will no, no longer be on a killing; it'll just be purely murder, and in most cases it will be premeditated murder. So therefore, it's no longer any an honor killing; it's now a murder. And any kind of assault in the name of uh, um, protecting family honor is is the equally so a felony or or crime that's punishable by just like any any other crime or physical assault or, or murder. So that entire article that existed before is no more. So that's huge. Now, many of us did not even know that there was such a law here, but uh, it's uh, obviously the UAE has taken quite a thorough look through its uh, many, many laws and uh, decided to make a step forward and clean up those perhaps that no longer belong in uh, in uh, the books and those perhaps and introduce new ones which are sort of more up with the times let's move on to personal status and there are two areas i'd like to talk to you about changes in laws that apply to marriages but also changes in the laws that applies uh, the laws that apply to wills but wills specifically for muslims yes yet another groundbreaking yeah. area until this law, it was in, in short, it was not possible for Muslims to register a will. Now, in, in I'll clarify that uh, because Muslims in the UAE, well, Muslims in the UAE, yes, are subject to Sharia law, and under Sharia law, a person cannot dispose of their estate by a, by a will unless two conditions, unless it's um, no more than one third of their estate, one. And two, that the state or the will, the beneficiary of the will is a non-heir. So right. in other words, if you have a Muslim father or a Muslim family and uh, who has two children or two girls, they could not uh, have a will. They would not be able to register a will um, for their girls because the girls obviously are heirs 
so you cannot uh, register willful heirs. Furthermore, there was another procedural condition, and that is if you want to register, if a Muslim wanted to register a will, uh, subject to those two conditions, one of which is, again, that it's only one-third of their estate, and two, that it's a, that goes to a non-heir, that kind of will only had to be registered before the courts. So it's sort of like a, a almost like a court judgment. And through the proceedings, obviously, the court would have to establish, is this an heir, is this a non-heir? So it's not, you could not go register a will. It basically is a request of the court that had to be approved. Now, as per the new law, every emirate will establish a registry for will registration for Muslims. So that's the specific language, wills registry for Muslims. Mm. So the fact that it's, we will see how it's actually going to take shape, what shape it takes as as time goes on and in what form and shape it's implemented. But the idea is that now there will be wills registry, uh, not courts to register wills. And so the presumption and and, and there's a reasonable implication is that what this means is establishing wills registry and now allowing Muslims to register wills. Um, which is something that would not did not exist before. Uh, so that's with regards to wills. Uh, once again, we have to come back and and um, revisit this issue as the law is implemented and these wills registry are, are formed. Uh, but uh, the presumption is that this is the purpose of this is exactly is exactly that, and that is to allow Muslims to register wills. And whenever you register a will, it's not a will. Again, the presumption is not this one third, uh, one third of your estate to a non-heir, because that for that you do not need to have a new law. The law mm. always existed for that. So the fact that there is a new law means that this new law provides additional uh, and and new framework. Uh, so that's another very interesting development to keep watching. It uh, is. I mean, it's progressive, and that's that's a word that uh, we keep using, I guess. But it's also uh, that laws that apply to marriage have been uh, updated as well. Correct. And that's the personal status law once again. So now that law has been amended uh, to state that in the cases of marriages, divorces, and inheritance, it's the law of the uh, state where the marriage was registered that would apply. Right. So, for example, let's say you take an American, American couple um, who are Muslim, and they were married in the U.S., and uh, they moved to the UAE. Uh, so they were married in the U.S., being the operative phrase. So they would move to the UAE and they would um, apply for reg- for their residency and have their residency registered here on the back of their marriage certificate. Right. And this is a necessary document here uh, to uh, to present to the authorities when you do apply for your uh, for your residency. Uh, so now they are registered here as uh, Americans, uh, but Muslims, because again, as part of the paperwork here, when you apply for residency, you have to state your religion. Uh, so in the past, the, they would have been, let's say, in the case of a divorce or inheritance, they would have by default been subject to Sharia. Now, at least as, as per the, the new law, uh, it's the law of the state where the marriage was registered, which in this case would be um, the U.S., so it would be American law that would apply. Um, so the, again, the presumption is that this means for all those non-nationals, uh, including, inclu- including Muslims amongst them, uh, they will have a choice of the laws that they want to apply. Uh, and the, 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 the default choice will be the state, uh, the laws of the state where the marriage was registered, unless perhaps they want Sharia law to apply. Uh, but the default is, is their home country and the, the choice is, um, is also there. Another area of change is 
groundbreaking, but in a completely different way. In terms of uh, oiling the wheels of bureaucracy, the opportunity to have an electronic notary public is a massive development, isn't it? It is a massive development for somebody like you and I who've lived in this country for long enough to know (laughs) how instrumental and uh, important uh, the notary public here is. And that is by virtue of our heavy reliance in this country on attested documents and notarized documents. Uh, so that's one, but two also because the UAE is not a part of the Hague Convention, so therefore any foreign documents uh, that uh, are used in this country in any kind of official capacity would always have to go through this very serious attestation process, or we would call it apostille, or legalization, to the different ministers, ministries and uh, embassies and, and such. So those of us who've lived here long enough know that. And so therefore, for example, anytime you needed to attest a document or even it's a corporate document, you would have to go through this process of, of attestation legalization. Well, and that's because let's say the shareholders of a company or the executives of the board members of the company, they're not based here. So how do you issue a board resolution before without having, uh, without um, being here physically and, and attesting it before, for example, a notary? So now the notary, uh, the UAE notary have specific powers uh, to, it's, it's not even just a powers, I think it's almost like the mandate to now accept electronic signatures on documents and, and therefore uh, process documents electronically. So the presumption here is that from now on, notaries will have um, uh, not just the authority, but also mandate to, uh, to legalize documents uh, electronically, which means you will no longer need to physically appear before the notary to legalize your document. Your POA or power of attorney, for example, you could be in a different country and, and, and work with a notary here who will attest these documents. Uh, so um, uh, this, in fact, is, um, is very positive in two ways. One, uh, is that, first of all, that the option will now become permanent and become part of our uh, day-to-day life. But two, also that the UAE during the pan- pandemic and uh, COVID-19 has actually implemented the system and has been using it quite successfully. Uh, so th- we have attested many documents exactly on that basis during the pandemic. It was not the very well-known fact um, or option, and but the system has been implemented and has been tested. Um, so to, to us, this is very positive because it ultimately now takes a system that has been introduced perhaps uh, initially temporarily and now makes it permanent. Uh, so for for many, many people here, I think you, having this option of attesting documents or notarizing documents electronically will be um, a cause for celebration. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, it can be a pain. Let's put it lightly. Um, the notary situation. Inexpensive, exactly. Uh, I'm going to come to the company's law in a second. I want to ask you about that. But first of all, changes to uh, bankruptcy. Yes, uh, as part of these amendments, uh, the 200 pages that we mentioned before, Mm -hmm. uh, there was also an amendment to a recent, fairly recent issued bankruptcy law. And in in relevant terms, the amendment now includes a specific provision that allows for any kind of uh, force majeure causes of nature uh, and pandemics uh, to, uh, to be grounds for declaring or applying for bankruptcy. So in other words, there is now a specific provision that says any kind of pandemic constitutes a legitimate ground to apply for bankruptcy. Uh, so before it was perhaps a matter of interpretation, but now there's a specific provision. So all those businesses 
who are either applying for bankruptcy or considering to apply for bankruptcy or liquidation uh, now know because of COVID-19 now have a specific provision that they can rely on in helping them um, deal with already painful sort of winding down of their companies. It's long been the case in the UAE uh, that uh, you've been able to 100% own a company, but you always had to be in a free zone or a specific area uh, of the country in one of the Emirates. It's now the case uh, that an onshore company can be registered and you can 100% own the company. That, that was an announcement that I have to say really took me back. Absolutely, 100%. And I have to tell you, we did not expect it. Mm. Now, statements to that effect had been made over the years, and new companies' laws and amendments have been introduced over the years as well, but they always uh, fell short of exactly what you just said. And even though the announcements, previous announcement would say, yes, 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 we will do away with the requirement of having a local sponsor. But when the law was finally introduced, uh, the local sponsor was still, you know, the, the sort of the more or less the system remained the same with a few exceptions. Mm. Well, now, according to this new law, again, the, uh, the law has been flipped upside down. So before the default rule was that in order to have a business in the UAE, it has to be owned by an Emirati. Uh, and in different uh, percentages, but minimum of 51%. That was a default law. And the exceptions were unless, right? You had the free zones that were set up uh, that where that exception um, uh, could be implemented. That that is, you did not require a local sponsor. But remember, that's a default or an exception to a default law. Uh, So now, and then uh, in 2019, there was a new amendment to companies' law that was introduced that kept that system in place but introduced what was called a positive list, or a list of 100 activities which could, um, uh, which could benefit from ownership without, having to, without requiring a local partner. Uh, so, so in other words, the default law remained the same, but now there was a whole list of exceptions. You know, there are certain activities that were exempted from having to have a local sponsor, a local partner. Right. So, and that's why when we heard about this new supposed amendment coming forward, we didn't quite, we didn't quite expect what, what we see now. Now the law has been flipped upside down. Now there's no longer a requirement. That law has been taken um, off the books, a requirement of having a local sponsor or a local agent. Uh, and in fact, it says there's no longer a requirement to have a local sponsor or a local agent. Uh, except that there could be certain industries and certain uh, areas of strategic importance to the country uh, where certain emirates and certain authorities and minister- ministries may want to regulate differently. Okay. So you see, again, so now it's not, now the, the, the default is no more requirement of a local sponsor mm. unless there's an exception, which is very different from before. Before the default was you require a sponsor unless there's an expe- exception. Right. So this is quite huge. Uh, now, how it's going to take shape well, it remains to be seen. The, the law was just uh, published in the official gazette, but the law itself does not come into effect until March 20th, 2021. So another four months or so. Ludmilla, I guess the the biggest change, the most surprising change, is the normalization of relations with a country that's been under embargo for as long as I uh, can remember. And that normalization is with the state of Israel. 
Correct. And that too, we heard about the peace uh, treaty and the peace accord that was signed a few months back. And we've seen lots of lots of uh, news updates and announcements of Israeli uh, tourists coming to the country yeah. and, and planes landing and delegations being exchanged and such. But in the legal terms, apart from this uh, accord, peace accord that was signed, uh, we haven't really seen what so the, a new legislation, if you will. Now, as part of these amendments uh, in the laws, the, again, that was introduced just a few weeks ago, uh, there is a new law or new new amendment canceling the 1972 boycott law with Israel. Right. So now there's, in fact, an amendment that cancels the law altogether. So there's no more law. So, and that law, it was that, that law, the boycott of the state of Israel that ultimately made anything to do with Israel illegal. Now there is, that law has been completely canceled off from the books. So it doesn't exist, which means that now Israelis, uh, predictably in light of the peace accord, uh, Israelis can come into this country and benefit from all the other benefits as the, like the rest of, uh, residents and expats and businesses. Uh, so not only for tourist purposes, not only uh, for visits, but also to set up businesses, run businesses, live here, own properties and enjoy all the other benefits that this country has to offer. So they are no longer different from the rest of the expats here. So that's a very interesting development because by virtue of these amendments, the entire entire law has been just canceled out. Just And that's, that's the amendment, that such and such law has been canceled. That's it. What a year 2020 has been. There has been, as, as, as difficult and challenging as it has been, yeah. there's definitely been much silver lining. And I would say from a legal perspective, as geeky and nerdy as it may sound, these amendments are our silver lining. Geeky and nerdy suits you. Ludmilla Yamalova is the managing partner of HPL Yamalova and Plethka. It's a Dubai-based law firm in JLT. As ever, she's our uh, incisive legal expert, and I thank you for your time. Tim, always a pleasure. Thank you. If you have a legal question you'd like answered, we can do that in a future episode of Logical. Or if you'd like a consultation with a qualified UAE experienced legal professional, you can WhatsApp us 00971 or head to lylawyers.com and click contact.